Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. You can check out their new e-commerce solution so you can start selling stuff immediately. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just go to squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP5. This week on TWIP, some New Yorkers are furious over photographs taken through windows, and we've got a special chime-in on that topic by Mr. Jack Resnicki, plus the beginning of the end for the compact point-and-shoot camera. Also, be careful of what you share. Snapchat photos are not really deleted, and our listener Q&A picks of the week, plus a discussion with Mr. Derek Story on being a nimble and mobile photographer. It's Wednesday, May 29th. 2013 and this is twip welcome back to twip i am your host frederick van johnson joining me today on the show to discuss some of the hot topics in the world of photography this week are mr dan ablin tristan hall and valerie jardin hey guys hi Frederick. all right it's good to have all of you guys on the show and gal on the show (laughs) Uh, it's going to be an interesting show. There's a ton of stuff to talk about. But before we jump into the news, let's do a quick roundtable to catch up with what you guys have been up to in the world of photography. Valerie, why don't you go first? What have you been? Uh, what's been keeping you busy over the last couple of weeks? <laughs> well, it's been, it's been a crazy month of May. I just got back from teaching two week-long workshops back-to-back. Um, I had never done two weeks Mm. Um, back to back. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, and, but it was also a lot of fun. It's exhausting, but it's energizing at the same time. So I did a week in Paris and then a week in Normandy, France, which is where I'm from. And it went really well. Everybody was really happy. Everybody uh, left in one piece, which is <laughs> a good thing because, uh, you know, so many things can go wrong. And, and, uh, and uh, it went super well, and I had a fun, fun time. So let me let me ask you your your gear. Speaking of gear, what was the um, <laughs> the primary camera that you used on that trip? Well, in Paris, I used almost exclusively the new Fuji X100S, and I can't even begin to tell you how liberating that was. Uh, just. And I, I, I'm, I'm used to shooting with a fixed lens. I, I've been using the 40 millimeter pancake lens on my camera to do street photography for quite a while. So that wasn't a big switch for me. But just having something smaller that nobody notices, mm-hmm. um, it was so, so much easier for street photography. And, um, and just uh, having something so light to carry all day made a huge difference. I loved it. I really loved it. I took the the five D Mark II. I did an introduction to to food photography, uh, travel food photography during the workshop. So I used my Canon for that for just a few shots. But I shot, yeah, with the Fuji most of the time. Um, in Normandy, the second week, I did about half and half because there was a lot of landscape night shooting and so forth. Well, so I used gonna, the. We're definitely going to dive into that when we get into uh, one of the stories this week. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, have, I have some stuff to share as well about my. My foray into the mirrorless world—it's—it's uh, it's exciting. 
All right. Also uh, on the show is Mr. Tristan Hall. Tristan, what's been going on with you in the world of, of South Africa and photo comment and photography? Um, quite a bit. <laughs> photo comment's gone through a, a nice redesign um, back in March, and it's each month just been since then kind of tweaking things and improving on them, um, which has been fantastic. The response has been, been huge. Um, and uh, we just, yeah, keep changing gadgets and playing with new gear and it's it's been quite exciting we had one of our our first reader photo walks in the last year um this past weekend which was uh, a wonderful opportunity we had um epson and uh, sony as as partners there who kind of gave our readers an opportunity to play with some of their latest uh, products and it was fantastic. I really, it was good to be able to get out and see people having so much fun with their photography again. So Excellent. now, are you? So Valerie has clearly been bitten by that whole mirrorless bug. Are you on that gravy train as well? Well, I've I've kind of been on the gravy train for a while. Um, I, I was working at Sony when they launched their mirrorless product, the NEX, um, and it's it's just been. A, a couple of for the last two years it's all I've been shooting has been mirrorless um, and then at the beginning of this year um, the the mirrorless that I got was first generation and it got a bit old and we retired it and as a company we moved over to shooting Canon for video production stuff so I thought well it would make sense to buy an you know an EOS 650D and just have that as a, a spare body and when I when I do get an opportunity to shoot and I almost never use the camera so over the weekend with having some of those Sony cameras unknown and that it was it was great to be able to to get back to shooting with some of the the newer cameras from Sony and yeah I, I'm kind of missing them so there'll probably be a change in my camera bag in the next little while. I'm actually also busy testing Samsung's new entry into the market, the NX300. Mm. Um, and it's amazing how quickly a company which has not had um, you know, a, a, a strong photographic background from a traditional sense has quickly progressed. And, and um, I, I mean, if I compare this against Canon's EOS M, uh, which is Canon's first attempt at mirrorless, there's there's no comparison. The the Samsung is actually faster on its autofocus, more versatile with its wireless technology. Um, it's amazing how quickly a company that's not traditionally photographic innovates beyond what the guys in the that 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 are you know being hesitant to get into that space are doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, what a what a what an interesting new world. All right, well, mm. welcome back to the show. We'll be diving into that stuff a little bit deeper uh, a little bit later in the show. Also, in the crowd of people that are on the show is Mr. Dan Ablin coming to us from Chicago Land, USA. Hey, Dan, what's going on? Hello, Frederick. How are you? I'm doing great. What's what's uh, how's that new studio treating you? It's oh, great. Actually, this is my first whip from the new studio. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Although I'm feeling kind of left out with the mirrorless thing. I need to <laughs> get out of bed. You know right. I was going to ask you that, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, we, we are in the process of moving. That's what we've been up to. Um, I, I, <clears throat> I sound a little hoarse, so that's just from uh, being run down, I think. Um, but, yeah, we're just – we're like 80% there. I actually brought the lights over today, the modifiers. Um, and, you know, we tried – which I guess is a good thing. We tried to shut down in the process of this move. And – you know, we kept getting shoots. So we're like, sure. So we're doing, you know, 
high school senior and a family shoot. And tomorrow we've got a uh, maternity shoot. So we're scrambling to get privacy blinds up and get the lights put in. But, um, but all good things. Yeah. It's, um, it's just been uh, a little bit nuts trying to keep working while moving the studio, but wow. we're almost there. And now, and now on your to-do list, you have to add make the switch to mirrorless, right? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm serious. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try that because um, one of the things I've also been doing is I'm a mentor now on Lori Nordstrom's Photo Talk Forum. Um, so I have a lot of you know every uh, three weeks or so I have to start a kind of a new thread, new discussion. And I would like to do one more on mirrorless and technology and shooting small. And um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's something to really pay attention to. And, you know, I tell you, it's been, it's been liberating for me and it's hard to put into words like Valerie, I know you were trying to explain to me how excited you were when you, when you got your Fuji. Um, But until I got this Olympus and sort of, you know, I don't know, felt the, the smallness of the camera, but but without the compromise of quality and all that stuff, it's it's hard to articulate how cool it is to be able to go out and and shoot and not have that giant DSLR. <laughs> it's just, it's uh it's it's a liberating experience, which we'll we'll definitely talk about. All right, guys, on my my list of quick updates before we uh, get into the news of this week, just want to remind the uh, the people listening to this that the Twip contest. If you get this, if you if you're listening to this, this show goes live on Friday, um, which is the 31st of May, which also happens to be the last day of the TWIP Landscapes and Nature Photo Contest. Contest will end at midnight Pacific time on the 31st. So if you are if you want to enter that contest, you have an amazing landscape photo that you want to stick in there, please do so by midnight on the 31st of May 2013 Pacific time. So. Check that out. If you don't know where that is, just uh, check the, the blog post for this episode, and you'll you'll see it plain as day. There, just click on that, get your image in there quickly. The con the uh, the prizes for that contest are a giant. I forget even what the size is. I think it's a twenty by twenty four um, eye acrylic stainless steel three quarter inch thick. Um, geez, I want to call I don't know blast shield of your image <laughs> that uh, that you will that they'll make and ship it over to you based on whatever your image is, and then also you'll come on the show and sit with us just like this and discuss your image with the Twip crew live for the rest of the Twip audience. So it's a it's a pretty cool prize. So definitely check that out and enter if you haven't done so. Also, if you need tips on shooting landscapes, um, go grab Trey Radcliffe's Stuck in Customs Landscape and Travel Tutorial. They did a basically he did a, a awesome workshop in New Zealand and uh, made it into a travel tutorial that you can download and sort of follow along and figure out how Trey does all those crazy images that he does. And you can get 20% off that using the code TWIPPHOTO. Um, just head over to, again, from the blog post, you'll see a link to it, or head over to stuckincustoms.com and you'll find it. It's the New Zealand tutorial, and use the code TWIPPHOTO for, the, for 20% off of that. And then finally, our friends over at Connected Data, we've been talking about that transporter device that they've, they are, that's kind of, that's really popular out there. It's like a it's like a personal Dropbox where you control it and uh, um, you can put multiple of these Dropboxes or these transporters around, like one at, one at your office, one at home, whatever, and it'll mirror your data back and forth. Um, well, the guy that started Connected Data and launched the transporter was the same guy that started Drobo 
and yesterday they announced that they're getting married. So I don't know what that, what kind of, you know, that's that's like a, that's an incestuous kind of thing going on there. But it's awesome. So they're connecting the dots there. And they also today announced version 2.0 of their client software, which makes it, basically they integrated the transporter with the, with the operating system of the computer instead of having to launch specific software, go to specific websites to configure it. It's just, it works pretty much just like Dropbox. So it's awesome. And they've given me another one to give away. So I'm going to give one away uh and i'm going to kick that contest off friday so when you're by the time you listen to this the blog post for this episode will have a little form there where you can enter and uh and win a free transporter so definitely check that out all right guys let's jump into the news the first thing up is i've been really uh wanting to talk about this so there's a story that came across my desk about um the photographer Arnie Svensson, he he lives across the street the street from the Zinc Building in New York City, and he used a he used a long lens and captured some images of his neighbors. Basically, the the building across the street from him is one of those swanky, cool New York City buildings with the floor to ceiling windows, and it, he took pictures of people in through from his from his perch into their window. Then he went on to make a limited edition run of of prints and made a gallery show of those. Now, none of the people were compromised in terms of, you know, it wasn't like showing them doing compromising things or it didn't show faces. So you didn't you couldn't recognize anyone. But the people that were in the shots knew who they were and sort of raised the stink and all this stuff. So I wanted to bring I wanted to bring this panel on to talk about this specifically from the standpoint of is this. Is it is it right for a photographer to do that? And and I'm kind of on the fence here. So, and Dan, I want to throw it to you first. You know, is it if this happened to you? Let's say let's say you were in in a Chicago high rise, and your neighbor across the street decided they're going to do an art piece, and they captured you, and you're walking <laughs> down the street on your way to your studio, and boom, you see yourself, you know, in a window, but you can, you know it's you, but it's it's not recognizable as you. What do you do? Well, do you care? You know, you know. The funny thing is, I don't. I don't. <laughs> somebody's going to be mad at me for not taking a stand because I honestly, from a photographer standpoint, think this is really cool, and I'd love to go see the exhibit. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I absolutely disagree with it. I mean, that's that's just wrong. Um, you know, I have uh, family in a Chicago high rise, and we have a telescope, and we have actually <laughs> seen many things. <laughs> But I have not taken pictures. Um, there, there is some boundaries there, and so I just don't. I don't think that's, yeah, you know. And it does. It, where, where does privacy end? It. Uh, it's kind, yeah. I'm kind of with you on the fence like this. Like, wow, that's uh, yeah. Your window's open. You're doing things, but are they allowed, somebody allowed to take pictures? What? Yeah, I mean, that, and I, I kind of think of it from the the whole expectation of privacy standpoint. And you you rented this or purchased this place that has floor to ceiling <laughs> windows in New York City, one of the most populated areas on earth, and you leave your windows open and you got your lights on and it's at night and now you're mad because people see it. You know? <laughs> no, no, you're mad. See, it's one thing taking a picture of it and displaying it's something else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd argue you're just you're just capturing a slice of time. No, because you know what? And this, people see it. I don't know. This is a little extreme. It, it uh, is. Yeah. It is. No, but, no, no, no. Know. What I'm going to tell you is a little extreme. You know, here's here's a girl that gets assaulted. Well, she was wearing a short skirt. She had high heels and she had a lot of makeup on. Yeah, that's you know, different. Still doesn't make I, I it right. That, that that's different because there there's those are definite lines there when you're talking about assaulting someone. Of but. course, of course. But 
you know, you know but I just mean, the when, when you're is, well, talking about photographing someone when you can't see them, I mean, uh, there's an argument there. Oh, Valerie, well, I, you you chime I, in. This this happened to you, right? You you're you get photographed against your will slash knowledge. Is it good, bad, ugly? Do you care? Does it matter? Well, no, I think they cross the line. Um, whether it's legal or not legal, is it ethical? And I don't think it is. They're in their private homes. They're not in a public place. I mean, right. I, I shoot street photography. I teach street photography on my workshop. Number one rule is respect. And um, and we don't photograph people in their, you know, we don't go over a fence and photograph somebody in their backyard. That's actually illegal. Um, they're not in a private, they're not in a public space anymore. Uh, they're, they're in their homes. And, um, and not only that, but this was put up uh, in an exhibit. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was for just private use, which would be bad enough. I mean, that's totally voyeuristic, but, um, they, they were on display without them knowing they would be on display. Each, Seven, okay. And that, yeah. <laughs> that's, I would really like to know how many are selling at 7,500 bucks. Um, too. apparently it's not doing too bad. So. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The whole publicity here. Will probably help too, but um, it's just Dan, strange. Dan just I would opened not another like browser it. window. He's trying to grab one right now. <laughs> no, but you know, I I absolutely agree with Valerie because you know I, I shoot a lot of street and I have since I was in high school. Um, and when I'm doing workshops and you know and just just um, photo walks, you know I, I like to take pictures of homeless people and I used to do it anonymously from afar and you can't really tell who it is. Yeah. But now I've got full on. Face close-ups, and I go up and I talk to them and offer them some money. Can I take your picture? And not only is it the right thing to do, I get a lot better picture. One of them, I actually just – I got to notice it's going to some some show in New York. I don't know what it is, but one of my ones from underneath Lakeshore Drive. But again, it's a whole different thing when it's shooting through the window. Yeah. Now, now Tristan, you know, we, we've got sensitivities here in the U.S., this whole – expectation of privacy and you know like like valerie saying hey i'm in my house you know all rule all bets are off when it comes to what i do in my house and don't stand on the street take pictures of me you know i don't care what i'm doing in there does that same kind of those same kind of morality i guess for lack of a better word rules apply in in south africa yeah most definitely i think there's you know there's there would be a huge upcry if, if something like that was to have happened here um there 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 are definitely um issues around around doing people, protecting people's privacy and i think that's something that you know just uh, again from an ethics point of view i don't don't agree with the way that it was done um they you've got to be very careful when when you're approaching people in their private space um it's not how do I put it? You, you, you need to. You, you put. First of all, you you upset a whole lot of other. You know the, the 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 market for other photographers. So people are going to become wary about photographers when they see something like this. Um, you know, can they be trusted? You know, I, I mean, imagine now what what your neighbors must be thinking if they've seen this story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, can can we trust Frederick not to to take a shot from over the wall while we we sun tanning, whatever the case is? Right. It you've got a there, there's a certain responsibility I think we have to protect the the image of it. If it was a, a, a hard news story or something like that, then there's an argument that could be made for the importance of other people knowing what's going on. 
but you know what people are doing in their spare time in their home really is is of no importance to to the general public and to then profit out of it the way that that seems to be the case here i i don't know <laughs> it's so what, it's, uh, what, what would have happened to this photographer law-wise here, um, as, as we'll hear in a second from Jack Resnicki, who I, I contacted to comment on this, but it, it doesn't look like the people that were photographed have a whole lot of legal standing against this photographer because, you know, that whole expectation of privacy and their faces were obscured and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm. In South Africa, would, would the same kind of law ap- uh, apply or would, would you be able to prosecute so our democracy is still fairly young, um, and I think if you had the right people backing something like this, they would they would uh, certainly go to court to try and set a precedent for it in the future. Um, it's it's uh, it's a difficult one, you know. There there are certain laws governing privacy and and stuff like that. So I, I think. You know, from a point of view of being able to identify the people, yes, that may make it a little bit more of a gray area. But in, in you know, with a relatively young democracy, I think this would would still go to the courts and and be be challenged and and you know set some kind of precedent for future reference with it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think with if the people were prepared to pursue it, it would definitely have some some grounds to be moved upon. What the judge might rule is is a different story. Um, but I, I can definitely see some room for people to be able to challenge this. We we have got some laws that govern privacy, and it's I, I've spoken to a lawyer here locally um, about street photography and and you know where the grounds stand on that, and you know they've said there's um, theoretically in a public space you should be able to take people's pictures without needing their permission but with new and recent changes to the law it, it, it's still something that's unchallenged in terms of the privacy act um certainly you know children are protected um under the new child act in south africa that you as a publication we are extremely careful about publishing pictures of of children and making sure that we've got consent from parents and and stuff like that um so you'll almost never see a photograph of a child published in our magazine unless we've been able to get get all of that sorted out um well let let me let me ask this so taking taking a different tack uh at at this topic let's say this photographer was approaching this particular assignment whether it was a self-assignment or whatever as hey i'm going to document the indigenous people of new york city and he did that what would be the difference between him doing that and you know, Tristan, Valerie, you know, Dan, you guys taking a trip to some rural part of Ethiopia and using a long lens and taking pictures of people do, going about their daily lives there. What's what's the difference, do you think? Dan, what do you think? Um, boy, it's... Uh... Just because they're in a high rise versus, you know, in, in a more rural part of, a, you know, an un, a under, a undeveloped country, does it matter? Or no, I don't is, think you know, so. Do the human rights, rights human rights. No, no, it shouldn't matter at all. Yeah, but I mean, but yet we see those pictures all the time, and no one cares. So I know, I know it's a good point. Yeah, but um, you know, is, is it that you know some some can make a bigger stink about it, and some can't? Is it because uh, mm-hmm. I don't know? There, there is a difference between people going about their daily lives in a village in Ethiopia versus having taking pictures of them. In their home, without them knowing, they're being photographed too. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the, you know, or anywhere I take, I take, I do street photography everywhere and people are not aware I'm taking pictures of them, but they're in a public place. Yeah. And uh, and I'm not hiding behind a long lens. I use a 35 millimeter. So <laughs> and selling those for seventy five hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, and um, and they're in a public place. I mean, here there there are people being photographed with a long lens, so they don't you know from across the street in their own space. Yeah, that's very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has. I don't even. Yeah, maybe it's. Intri- I mean, I would like to see it. Now that we've <laughs> now talked about it, look, right? but who would want to? I don't know if you'd really want to put that on your wall. But he does get an A for originality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and from looking at it just strictly from a marketing standpoint, look at all this press. You know, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about it for fifteen minutes, so and it's pretty gutsy. I mean, I would, I would feel uneasy because I really think you have to put yourself in your subject's shoes. And I never photograph people, and I always tell my students that. I, not to photograph people in vulnerable situation or in situations of crisis, put yourself in their in their shoes or in a uh, embarrassing situation. Uh, right. well, would you like your picture uh, appearing on Facebook in an embarrassing situation? No, and I I totally respect that, and I would not photograph somebody. And uh, you know, in that same situation, because I would not like it. I would not like if it was me. All right. Well, I uh, like I mentioned earlier, Jack Resnicki is is kind of hung his hat on the photographer's right slash copyright um, standpoint of of how we you're basically educating photographers. He and uh, Ed Greenberg wrote a book called The Photographer Survival Survival Manual, and it's all about copyright and demystifying model releases and when you when you can and can't take a take someone to court for using your images and all that stuff. So I got, I sent him, sent him an email to ask him to comment on this. And, um, and he did. So we had a, a brief conversation about this topic earlier. So give this a listen. Okay. I'm here with Mr. Jack Resnicki. He's been on the show, um, before talking about copyright and just sort of the world that, that perilous world of keeping your images safe. And, I sent Jack an email after I saw the the story that we're talking about right now on the show, and uh, he responded that he has some some comments on that. So, Jack, welcome and thank you. Oh, pleasure being here. Always always happy to talk with you. Great. So, what what was your what were your initial thoughts when you saw the story about the 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 photographer getting a telephoto lens and training it on the building across the street or across the way, and and then selling the images? What what do you think about that? Well, photographer Arnie uh, Svensson is a, a recognized fine art photographer, and that goes a long way in something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact is the images he sold were in a limited edition. Uh, I think uh, a limited edition of five you know, per image. Uh, that's all he printed was five per image. Okay. Um, and legally that, that has an influence. I think the, um, the people in the building... Um, contacted a lawyer, and the lawyers basically told him, "You don't have much of a case. Uh, nobody's recognizable. You know, it's recognizable to them, uh, which is a factor. Um, you know, because they know their apartment, they know what they were wearing, blah blah blah. But there's no faces. Uh, you know, the images are, are quite striking, and and there is precedent uh, on this in another case in New York um, um, about seven eight years ago. Uh, it was." Um, Nusenzweig versus de Corsia, um, in which a uh, photographer, uh, Philip Lorca de Corsia, 
um, set up an X on the sidewalk in Times Square under scaffolding, set up some strobes, and uh, about 20 feet away, set up a camera, and as people walked into his zone, he would take pictures. And uh, he had a, a show at the Pace McGill Gallery in uh, 2001 called Faces. Uh, sorry, called Heads, uh, and it was a, a well received, well uh, done show. And um, he was sued by one of the subjects who was a Hasidic Jew, uh, Erno Nusenzweig, uh, who sued him and said, "You don't have a release, you know, and you can't use my image." And he was selling these prints, by the way, for. Um, um, a lot more than Arnie was. This, these were selling for twenty to thirty thousand dollars each, oh. uh, is what was reported. Um, so, um, uh, Mr. Nusenzweig sued, and uh, he lost. He well, he lost on one count that he waited too long to sue and statute of limitations. But that wasn't the part that interests everybody. The the part the, the court also ruled um, that. Uh, um, the photographer had First Amendment rights in this particular case. Um, that uh, it supersede, I don't say superseded, but it didn't violate his privacy rights. And the fact that the photographer was an established fine art photographer, not one who was trying to avoid a lawsuit uh, by claiming that, and the fact that uh, the show was a limited edition. I mean, if he did posters, you know, like a thousand posters, uh, that would have been considered trade. Uh, in commercial use, and uh, the photographer could have lost uh, over that. But the fact that it's a very limited edition does come into play. Now, back to the current case you're looking at, uh, every every case has its own peculiarities, its own specifics, and everything is very, very case-specific. So we try not to take one case and say it applies to everything. But in this other case, um, it, there isn't really anything to sue over, and you have to also know where the location is. This is a building uh, that he photographed that has floor-to-ceiling windows. Yay. It's quite open, and you're talking about a very congested area, New York City. Um, this isn't like he was taking a telephoto lens and shooting into your uh, house, you know, within an acre, an acre or two, and you're behind bushes or something. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this is a scene that you would see if he was standing on the sidewalk of New York. Um, in fact, his apartment, I heard, was on the second floor, so he's not, like, elevated up that far. So, um... So there was, there should have been... It, there's no expectation of privacy if you're in a building with floor-to-ceiling windows and you, you knew that when you were leasing or buying this apartment... And you're standing in front of a window with it open with hundred thousands of people walking by that can see you from the street. If someone happens to train a camera on you, then you don't have legal recourse to say, don't shoot me. Is that is that uh, fair? Well, I wouldn't say you don't have legal recourse. I, my assumption is you don't, and you probably don't. But um, uh, the concern of the tenants were for their children. And they said, well, who knows You know what pictures he's taking of our kids and and yeah, there are laws about taking certain pictures are illegal. You know, you can't do uh, take a photograph up a, a a woman's skirt. You know, that's uh, just taking that picture is illegal. Um, but overall, taking pictures uh, unless you're doing something you know really bad, your your it's your First Amendment rights as photographers were entitled to take pictures in spite of what a lot of police forces are thinking these days. But even the Justice Department came out with a um, with a directive 
saying that, you know, these are First Amendment rights and the public has a right to document things such as police activity. Yeah. So yeah, what I what I worry about is and I'm not so much worried because, you know, my house is private and I've got blinds on the window, so no one's going to really walk by and take pictures of me. But if I open my blinds and happen to be standing there, you know, and someone's outside taking photos from the streets and they, you know, they get a shot and it's not necessarily recognizable that it's my house and it's me in there. It's just some random guy in a window. Do they have the rights to use that image and make money on that image? In some cases, Uh you know, like I said, everything is, (laughs) I wanted to know, I want to (laughs) know. I, you know, I hate to sound like a lawyer on this. You know, I'm just a yeah. photographer. I'm not a lawyer. Sure. But, but it's true. It, it's, you know, um, are you naked? Uh, uh, it, are you in an activity that would be considered private? Yeah. Let's say, uh, let's say, let's, let's, let's paint a finer, put a finer point on it. Say the window's open. I'm standing there. The, it's, it's night. So, and the lights are on in the house. So you can see inside the house. I'm standing with my girlfriend and we're kissing. In front of an open window, you can't make any or either one of our faces out, um, and there's no nudity involved. What about that? Uh, <laughs> you really need to get a lawyer out here <laughs> to answer that. You need to hire because, a lawyer, Frederick. Yeah, <laughs> or, or well, close the blinds, right? <laughs> get a room. Well, well, the thing is, you don't have to see somebody's face to be recognizable. That's right. the part that's tripping me up. Um, you you know uh, if it's you know your wife or girlfriend they're walking away you don't see their face you know it's them I mean mm-hmm. uh, you know you don't have to see people's faces to know it's them there could be distinguishing marks it could be hairdos it could be uh, a piece of furniture yeah um, tattoos you know recognizable is it's not oh I can see your face recognizable is can you be recognized you know there's there's some well known cases of one woman who um, uh, went to a dentist to get a dental work, and the dentist you know, wanted her to sign something to use the pictures, and she said no. He ran them anyway in an ad, and her bad teeth before was so well-known in the community she was in that just seeing her mouth and teeth made her recognizable. Wow. You know, and that's all you saw. You know, There's another case of, of somebody who did the same thing with breast augmentation, and yeah, there's claims that you don't need to see a face t- for certain people to recognize you, and that makes you recognizable. So w- when you couch it the way you did, um, I, I don't have an answer. I mean, everything is so case specific, um, you know, and you have to see the pictures. I, I've had people ask me, oh, somebody in a photo contest asked me once about a background, and I said, oh, as they described it, and I said, well, that sounds perfectly acceptable. You know, you can, uh, you know, uh, buy a painted backdrop and use it and. You know, this was somebody's painting. And then they showed me the picture, and it was like, oh, my God, this is so bad. <laughs> you know, this is such a violation. Yeah. So it, it's, it, you know, it's like that old Russian exp- you know, uh, expression. It, seeing it once is worth a thousand explanations. Right. So, you know, show me the picture, and I can give you a more detailed answer. But it's, it's, it, it, this covers a bunch of gray areas, you know, um, but overall, for this situation that's been in the in the papers, um, I think that uh, uh, if the tenants could sue, they would have sued already. Yeah. Um, and I think they've talked to a lawyer probably, and the lawyer said there's not much of a case. You know, it, it also comes down to have you been damaged by mm-hmm. this? Right. You know, having your picture taken and, 
you know, just showing you from the neck down uh, and not doing anything. I mean, they're, they're um, um, a, a graphic type pictures, and not in graphic in, in a, a sexual way, but graphic in a design sense. You know, they're very well designed images. Um, uh, and uh, with this publicity and his price point, which is low in the fine art world, I think they were saying they were selling for $7,500 a print. Uh, in this limited edition, I, I'm sure that uh, he's doing quite well uh, with this show. That's great. You know, here yeah. we are. And we're helping promote it. Here we are too. talking about it. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Well, hey, Jack, thank you for, for jumping in on this topic. I appreciate being able to break glass in case of copyright emergency and, and <laughs> engage you. And I would also, you know, give a nod to the book that you and um, Edward C. Greenberg have out there. It's a book called Photographer's Survival Manual. It's a legal guide for artists in the digital age, and I think it's a it's a must have book for anybody that creates images today and puts them anywhere, whether it be on or offline. So, how how's that book doing, Jack? Uh, well, it was doing good. We sold out two printings, but then uh, the publisher, which is published under Lark, which mm-hmm. is owned by uh, Barnes and Noble, decided that they were going to close the Lark photo division. So our book went with it. So our book is now out of print. Oh no! Actually, so I can sell mine for like three times what it's worth. <laughs> oh, it's it's selling on Amazon for above retail uh, at this point. But we are we are talking with another publisher. In fact, I have a, a meeting next week, and uh, because not only do we want to uh, re put it out there. Um, we, there's some things that we want to expand on. There's a lot of sections that we don't have that we wanted to work on, like wedding contracts and, and, uh, um, uh, bullies and, and a bunch of other issues, uh, that we write about. Um, and so we're looking at another publisher and, and I know there's one, (laughs) one college in particular where the professor wrote to me and he's panicked because this is his course title was, was our book. So he's scrounging around for copies. Um, and it, is but, it? Did you say it's still available on Amazon? Everybody's just out of print, right? It's out of print, so you know you can find them. I I tried to order it from Barnes and Noble because you know they're technically the publisher, and um, they had they canceled my order. They said they didn't have any. Wow! So, wow! So I well, know there's none in the warehouse. Well, I got mine right here. So hey, listeners, if you if you want to get this book, good luck. Go get it, and uh, you know we'll let you know when the new version from the new publisher is available. Oh yeah, I'll definitely give you a buzz to to you know help me push this one. You you always have a great audience. I mean, every time I've been on, I get uh, uh, some great emails and stuff from people. Great, great. Well, Jack, thank you. Thanks for uh, taking the time to let me bend your ear today. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Okay, take care. All right, that was uh, that was Jack Resnicki. Definitely check out his site um, and definitely check out the book. We'll link to to all of his presences on the. Uh, in the show notes for this episode. So, so going back to Valerie, what you were saying about crisis and, and before we, before I ran that interview, you were talking about the whole idea of being respectful of people in a crisis situation and not taking photos of that from a photojournalistic standpoint, you know, is, and I, I posed this many years ago on my blog. Once I wrote this post called uh, fight or light and, or flight or light. And it was the idea that something, significant unfolds in front of you mm-hmm. say you know someone has an accident you call the the ambulance you know they're on their way your camera's right there what do you do do you document the situation and i went further to add color to this and i said 
this person is someone significant, you know, maybe it's the president or the, some, some famous person that, that is in this situation that only you could help out with. Do you help them out and then shoot it? Or do you just help them out and be the humanitarian? What do you think, Valerie? Well, I'm a street photographer. I'm not a photojournalist or paparazzo. So whether it's somebody, you know, well-known or not, that would really not make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I don't really get a kick out of, photographing anything um that's um how would you call that in english um sensational yes Mm -hmm. yeah that doesn't interest me at all so i would definitely i would definitely put the camera down or keep it with me so nobody takes it (laughs) (laughs) especially if it's my new fuji and then uh Go help First, out. First, you would make sure the Fuji was packed <laughs> away nicely, and then you'd go help, right? <laughs> no, uh, jokes that aside, seriously, I think I would, uh, if it was a moment of crisis, I don't even think I could take a picture. I think I would either freeze or I would try to go help. Uh, okay. And I'm not trained for that. Tristan, Either. Tristan, what about you? That same situation. What do you What do you do? Do you uh, Do you snap a couple of pictures? And and remember, this is someone. This was someone historic. So the pictures, you're by not helping, you are not documenting something that millions of people presumably would want to see. So would you Would you still put down the camera? It's a very difficult situation. I I think, in my nature, I would be inclined to go and help. Um, I, I'm not a photojournalist, um, and and I think that that would be my first my first reaction would be to help people out. Um, but it's you know if you're in a situation where there isn't anything you can assist with, um, then yes, perhaps I would you know be be taking a photograph. I, it it's very difficult to say without you know kind of. Yeah, Not yeah, there's a million the variables in that. Yeah. yeah, but but I think I think the thing to, you know we recently in our our May issue we had an interview with a, a local photojournalist who's been picking up quite a number of awards and and kind of asked him about you know the, what how does how do you handle that situation? I mean, in South Africa we we have some pretty gruesome news stories from time to time, and you know how how do you handle that emotionally? And what what I found quite interesting is he said in in a way, um, documenting those kind of situations is he says in, in to a certain point you are disconnected from what's happening. Yeah, it, it it's kind of a way of of protecting yourself from the emotional impact that it has. Um, and, and you've got to, you know, when, when you, a photojournalist or something like that, and you're shooting this all the time, I think, you know, your reactions are different. You train differently to do certain things. Um, that's not to say that photojournalists are, are not humane. I mean, they, they have a moral obligation to, to, to inform the public about certain things. And so, I mean, I, I don't think I'd have the guts to go into environments and that, that they go into. Um, but at the same time, I think they, they've got, they train to go and to share these images and they feel they have an obligation to, to inform people about it. Um, and, but you as a civilian, not so much, right? I mean, yeah, which is, which is absolutely right. If you're a photojournalist, um, which I was for many years, the, the, your brain is in the space of 
uh, I am the tip of the sword and I need to capture all this stuff so that the millions of people behind me can mm-hmm. see it because it may change things, you know, if I'm, yeah. I'm so you, you kind of have that in the back of your head. And I, I still kind of take that with me. So I feel like, you know, I have to have a camera with me because something significant mm-hmm. may happen that I need to document. And if I don't have the camera with me or if I don't capture it, then I will be questioned later. Like, what kind of photographer were you not to capture that? You know, the aliens exactly. landed in the middle of San Francisco and you didn't take any photos of that. What, what, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very difficult situation, I think, for the photographer as well. Uh, um, you, you're probably aware of that. Most people are probably aware of that um, image that Kevin Carter shot of the, uh, the, the, the child in Africa and the vulture in the background mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. uh, that Pulitzer Prize winning image. And the amount of criticism that, that he received for not helping out with people not knowing the story behind the photograph and that they were near a, a camp already for refugees and, and that the child was being assisted and and the it was one of the major factors you know that and, and losing a close colleague that that kind of drove him to to end his own life so I, I think you know we, we have a we, we take for granted sometimes just what happens behind the lens and, and what these people go through to share the story. And, and I don't, you know, I think we, as a public, general public, are very quick to, to call them, you know, inhumane, and that's not the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dan, so. Dan, why don't you chime in on this? What, what do you think? You're in, you're in a situation like this. Is it photography first or humanity first? Well, yeah, I think I, I agree a lot with what Tristan said, um, and it depends on why you're there and also your your background too. You know, as you know, we've talked about this before. I went to school for photojournalism, mm-hmm. and my first job out of college was shooting news for a CBS affiliate, and we were not allowed to help. We were there just to document, you know. And I saw some pretty horrific car crashes and situations, and I'm just sitting there rolling tape. Um, <laughs> it's. Uh, it does kind of weigh on you a little bit because you can't do anything. Yeah. Now, fast forward to today where, you know, my work is just street photography and portraits and high school seniors and things like that. Um, you know, instinct would say, oh, my God, I have to take that picture. And it's a fine line between making a powerful image, which is always kind of my goal, versus being sensationalism. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I would say, you know, run to help. And as you're doing it, take a picture and then help. <laughs> You know, that that should be primary. But, hey, if you're a photographer and you can get a shot, doesn't mean you're looking to go sell it and, you know, get it on the cover of the National Enquirer and things like that. But, yeah, but I – but like what you said, Frederick, we're like you're there. You you know, you have your camera. You're – there's a situation. Um, and you know, we, a photographer. Yeah, and I think one of our last podcasts, we talked about uh, the one photograph from the Boston bombings. Mm-hmm. You know, and that guy's getting a little bit criticized because, okay, why wasn't he helping? Even though there were people helping, should he have been taking a picture of that guy with his legs? And yeah, I think that's always going to be a discussion. Yeah, I I think as long as we're making images. Valerie, what were you going to say? No, that wasn't me. But- uh, sorry, uh, if if I can spin it on its head, though, I would ask most people if they were wearing a set of Google Glass on their head, would they have not taken the photograph? That's true. Right. Um, to be honest with you, I think if if most people, if it was as simple as as remember, I mean, to us, photography is second nature. Our, our, we're, we're always ready to take a photograph. Um, you know, the average member of the public is maybe not that way inclined. But if they were wearing a set of Google Glass, I, I'm pretty sure those pictures would be on Google Plus pretty quick. Yeah, I wonder. That's that's a great point. I wonder how glass is going to 
change these types of situations and and yeah. the, the narrative yes. that goes around these events when another disaster happens, yep. you know, say Hence. five years from now, and you know, one percent of the crowd is wearing glass. It's going to escalate. <laughs> look yeah, at, look at be... how mobile technology is today. How it's done. How they how how it affected all the Boston uh, situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. I can see it. I know there's a battery life restriction or or limitation on Google Glass. It's like three hours or something. But still, I mean, if you're kind of like when Twitter took off and people mm-hmm. started live tweeting during natural disasters, and that's how a lot of people got their their news about it. I wonder how Google Glass and Google Plus will change that kind of the the way people get news like that. If there's if there's several people there that are wearing glass and able to kick off a hangout a public hangout yeah. and show what's happening you know inside a, a hostage situation or something you know it's just it's insane the mind boggles so that's yeah, hands-free yeah. photography hands-free mm-hmm. yeah 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 and, and while you guys were talking i was i was looking at the zinc building this is that building that this story was about um i was like just google zinc building nyc and this building looks like Apple designed it. I mean, it is, it's like an Apple store. All it needs is an Apple logo on it because it's all glass and chrome. <laughs> and it looks, it looks like the people in it are on display. <laughs> so <laughs> so, they so look because like, they are, we should just document. <laughs> yeah, they right. look like products that are like, hey, <laughs> shoot me. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's that. So definitely, definitely check it out. So that, that changes a little bit. It's not like they were... You know your home windows with your your horizontal blinds on there, and somebody snuck a shot through it. These are, I mean, it's glass. It's all glass. So crazy. All right, guys, on to story number two. Olympus, the makers of my new Olympus OMD EM5. Um, Aww, <laughs> love that camera. Anyway, they have pulled out of the compact camera market or the point and shoot market instead deciding to focus so they've they've they're they're terminating their v the v as in van lineup of (laughs) low-cost cameras um that were priced under 200 bucks and they're focusing instead on you guessed it mirrorless and micro four-thirds cameras so um that makes me happy because that means hopefully the em6 (laughs) that's that's (laughs) coming soon will have a lot more attention but you know looking at this is this is you know, looking at this is it is this the way things are going and like Dan let me put to you first let's start down the row looking into the future i know you're not shooting mirrorless now but you've heard about it and you know what's going on with this movement yeah. so looking into the future say 5 years do we see a landscape where mirrors are are old completely old school everything's mirrorless and um the point and shoot is replaced by the cell phone camera. Is that the landscape that we're moving towards? DSLRs are going away and point and shoots are going away. Well, I don't think DSLRs are going away um, simply because of the glass and the lenses. You know, the technology inside there might change, but I think on the pro end that, that, that might be stable, but on the consumer end, we've already seen it. You know, these point and shoots, I was just at Best Buy today and there's so many of them there and nobody's buying them because everybody's got their cell phones. I was at a wedding this weekend. 90% 90% of the pictures, all cell phones, and boom, instantly, they're on Facebook and everybody's sharing with the family. Yeah. Um, so I do I do think that's where it's going. Now, you know, it's interesting that this mirrorless and micro four-thirds is, is growing, which I think is, is kind of interesting given how, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, these point-and-shoots were on decline. They still are. And for the, everybody's like, well, you're either pro or your cell phone. Right. 
And now there's this whole new market. So it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, but yeah, kinda, I, I yeah, think it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. The thing, the thing that drew me and, and uh, Valerie and Tristan, you guys can probably chime in on this as well. The, one of the things that drew me in that took me a while to get my brain around coming from the world of mirrors was the idea of me seeing the exact exposure and mm-hmm. settings of the image before I click the shutter. <laughs> so, it's wonderful. That it took me a while to just sort of grok what that meant from a photography standpoint of okay, I want this f stop and this shutter speed and this exposure compensation, blah blah blah. And I'm looking through the viewfinder, and that's exactly what's going to end up on my SD card. That, that's so cool. That is that's insane. I can't I can't emphasize that enough. So Tristan, you, you know, you, you looking. What's your standpoint on this? You know, again, jumping in your time machine, going forward, say four or five <laughs> years or so, are we looking at a landscape that's all mirrorless and you know, cell phones that that you know it's, do everything else for us with glass, Google Glass on when exactly. we're not. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I need to be careful now how I say this so I don't get into trouble. Um, <laughs> ah, I'm not trouble. surprised. Get into trouble. Come on. <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised that Olympus has dropped their V line. Um, it's it, 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 the entry level camera market is a very crowded space, um, and they have a very good um, hold on the the tough camera market, which is their own little niche. Olympus kind of pioneered at these waterproof, few drop proof kind of compact cameras, yeah. and and I, certainly in South Africa, where the Olympus brand is not nearly as well established as Nikon, Canon, um, and and Sony in particular um, in the compact camera market side. Um, you know, Olympus, I would say with most of the dealers here are selling more of their tough cameras than they're selling of their V line of cameras. Um, they just can't compete in the low margin space on, on the volumes that are required to make it viable. So I'm not surprised that they would drop that lineup. I think you'll see them focus a lot more on their, their tough cameras where they differentiate themselves nicely from the other competitors in that space. Whereas Nikon, Canon and all these guys have one waterproof camera. Olympus has a range of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's quite, you know, they, you, they've got a nice think, niche. Do you think the point and shoot market has legs or is it has its time come to go away <laughs> to be supplanted by cell phone cameras? So this is where I've got to be careful. <laughs> um, You're like, I, I tried I to aware. dance around it and Frederick I, brought me back. <laughs> I have a, I have recently heard that there is a large event happening in London next month, which I maybe um, have the opportunity to attend, okay. where a particular large electronic company is expected to launch a rumored product that will merge mobile and photography to a greater extent than what it currently is. Hmm. Um, and so I think it is definitely, we, we're on the verge of seeing a change by the end of the year. Um, I th- the, the big issue where I think compact cameras have a market still at least for the next two or three years is in developing markets where iPhones and Galaxy S4s and that are still way, way, way out of people's price range. Yes, right. um, and that that is where the big issue is. So if you're looking in the South African market, for example, if, if I'm a, an, a you know bottom of the middle market or entry level kind of market segment for people, um, I just don't have $500 to shell out on a phone. Um, I'm, I'm using an entry level BlackBerry device so that I've got my BlackBerry 
BlackBerry messaging service and, and it's cost effective and the camera is not terribly great. Um, so that market segment there, a lot of people are, are still shooting with their mobile phones and that, but if they wanted better pictures, they would buy a $100 camera to get better photographs. But I think as that market changes, um, we are going to see – you know, as if they can bring the price down of mobile phones with good cameras, um, which theoretically Android is supposed to do, being such an open platform and, and what have you, um, then we will see it gradually the decline. In South Africa, um, the the middle camera market segments are basically anything from about a hundred dollars to four hundred dollars as compact cameras. Um, that's pretty much dead. The volumes there are, are way down over the last two or three years. But the kind of entry-level $100 or below price point, there is still the, – it hasn't seen growth, but the, there hasn't been a huge decline in sales either. Um, and certainly mirrorless cameras and SLRs has been a growing market in the South African environment. So, And, and as a, a developing economy, I think it's very interesting to see that people are prepared to put money – you know, whatever expendable income they have into buying a bigger camera system um, for the perceived gain in image quality and, and being able to get better photographs because my camera is so much better. Because, yeah. of course, the photographer doesn't do any of the work. So. Of course not. Of course not. We just, <laughs> we just push the button and the robot takes over. Ellie, what about you? What do you, what do you see, you know, going forward? I know you're, you're on the gravy train of mirrorless with that, that brand new X100S <laughs> that you probably have sitting right next to you right now. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think no, going forward for um, point and shoots? Are they doomed? I, I think so. I mean, and, and, and again, that depends. But in the, in, Western, in the Western world where every 10-year-old is carrying a $500 um, smartphone with a great camera, you know, who is going to buy the $100 point and shoot? You, you don't need both. You either have your phone or you have a camera. So why would you carry both? So I really don't think um, they get, you know, they have much of a future. Um, but um, the, I don't think the DSLRs are going away either. Mm, interesting. So you don't, you don't think the DSLRs are, are being supplanted by mirrorless? Oh, not for quite a while. I, I agree with Dan. Um well, I know mine's not going away because I, I still love my <laughs> icons. Yeah, yeah I mean, I get, I'm, I'm back here for a month and I have a bunch of uh, commercial shoots. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going to put the Fuji away for, for a month pretty much because I'm going to be working for clients. Um, and I need my, my good glass and, and my 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 5d mark ii plus you need to look like a photographer right Re remember i i have a, a 35 millimeter lens only on my fuji so yeah. it's quite limiting right. it's perfect for for what i do when i'm out traveling it's it's just perfect and i could you know i can shoot architecture i can shoot um uh, macro i can i can shoot and it's perfect for street photography but um it's not a camera i'm going to take on a job anytime soon this is for my you know, for for my workshops and for my photo walks. Yep, yep. And I, I'm mm -hmm. not going to say that the Olympus you could probably take on a job with you because it has interchangeable lenses, et cetera, et cetera. But That's right. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you know, Valerie, I'm probably going once once the the Fujis actually become available, so normal people can buy them without waiting for you know a light year to get them. Come I to may, South Africa. I may get one, you know, just because they're so awesome looking. I gotta I'd love to get one. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah. get one. I and I like, I feel like it's going back to basics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and it's, there is nothing between 
it's an extension of my vision. It doesn't come in the way. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. You and that's and really shoot. how liberating it was shooting street photography for a week with just that camera. And um, not only no, not only that, but nobody noticed me uh, or they thought I was carrying my grandpa's camera around <laughs> <laughs> and they felt sorry for me. And, uh, or, <laughs> or, um, and the fact that I, I didn't have to, to think it was just my vision. I, the camera did not get in the way. Not having to think about changing lenses, I was just using my feet and and making it work was so liberating. So uh, yeah, I, I like I that. It. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an exciting it's like an exciting world. It's chal- I mean it's challenging, and I don't think it fits every photographer yeah. uh, either. Mm-hmm. But it it just fits what I do. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 restrictive, but the restriction ignites Make your creativity sure. a bit right yeah, yeah. Power just, of like, just like back in school yeah exactly yeah <laughs> it's limited. like back in the military they were like here's a 50 mil lens and and a 36 exposure roll of film yep. go come we back with at least 30 great shots <laughs> of this of a specific thing <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. Uh, tristan I, what are you what are you shooting with daily right now what's your what's your grab and go camera uh my samsung galaxy s4 oh. So that photo walk we had last week, um, I, you know, I had my 650D swung around my arm, um, and I didn't take a single photograph with it. I shot everything on either an Xperia S, um, Sony Xperia S, or the uh, the Samsung Galaxy S4. Um, now, if I'd had uh, a mirrorless camera on me, um, and and wasn't, you know generously making sure that all my readers were getting a chance to play with them then then uh yeah i, I think i would have probably shot a lot more on the mirrorless cameras just we we were photographing um the constitutional hill in south africa with our constitutional court is and the old prison cell for political prisoners was there and and so walking in the footsteps of some of the the great icons in south africa and in the low light environments and that yes i would have i would have preferred to have had a a Sony NEX on me or Samsung's, you know, NX300, which I could then Wi-Fi tether to my camera and share the picture straight away in any case. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think um, the the best camera is the one you've got on you. And so I think this uh, potential announcement next month is going to be very, very interesting for the way that it impacts the the market. Um, You know, we've already seen Samsung's Galaxy camera. Um, which has, you know, got Android and, you know, you've got a, a compact camera that's running a, a smart OS um, and has built-in cellular connectivity. Um, but it's not an, a very pocketable solution. And and the talk is that what we will be seeing over the next couple of months is literally you could assume a mobile phone with, with an optical zoom kind of scenario, wow. something that's really compact and that, that could almost replace both having a, a compact camera and your, your smartphone. Um, so I, I think what we're going to see in the future is SLRs will, will be around for some time, particularly for people that are looking to shoot full frame. Um, and you will also have a situation where you're, if you're shooting sports or wildlife and you want the really big glass with fast apertures and that, right. that, that market there is, is probably still going to be dominated by SLRs for some time to oh, come. I completely agree. Um, yeah. But uh, but mirrorless cameras are going to change that, and th- there are rumors doing the round at the moment as well that that another you know major play in the mirrorless space 
is going to to switch over their entire production line to mirrorless in the next year or so. Oh, who's that, Tristan? Let's just say that they, they are a strong competitor, although the volumes are still way down on Nikon and Canon. Um, but uh, there, there are strong talks that, that there is a possibility. One of the reasons why you would shoot an SLR still for, for sports and wildlife, and that is the speed of autofocus that phase detection gives you. Right. Um, you know, the Olympus OMD is incredibly quick in comparison to the mirrorless cameras, but, but it's still not quite up there with high-end SLR devices uh, to the same extent. Especially um, now with moving targets, yeah. Exactly. Definitely. And and that apparently um, this particular manufacturer sounds like they may have overcome that issue. So we may see a situation where you know the, even the SLR range will be essentially mirrorless cameras um, in the future. So it, it's it's going to be the next twelve to eighteen months are going to be extremely interesting for impacting the future of photography. There, there's in, some in the future some of very my bank account. Stuff. Sounds like obviously. So <laughs> <laughs> that that's the whole reason for the change. I mean, it's not really to help us take better pictures. Of course. There's no altruism you know, in to, photography. To... It's all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> For the manufacturers, they, they, they motivating you to take better pictures by, you know, spending your money with them. So, exactly. um, but, but I think it's, it's going to be a very interesting next couple of months. We're going to see some, some massive changes in the way that things uh, progress in the, in the space. Yeah. All right, guys, this, this last story that, uh, that I want to talk about really quickly is about a company called Snapchat. Now, I guess you gotta, probably have to be under, I don't know, what, 25 <laughs> or so to have even heard of Snapchat? 14. Because <laughs> I've never heard of Snapchat. But, I know, know it I'm well. Not, I'm not sort of marinating myself in all these new social networks, but the, the pool of Snapchat was the was trying to address the idea of you take a photo, and now it lives on the internet forever on on Instagram or whatever, and then that can come back to haunt you. So their thing was, they take a photo, and you set a time limit of up to ten seconds that someone can view that photo, or that that once they see it, it basically self destructs after that, and then it's gone forever. So basically erasing the tracks of what you did. So allowing you know teenagers and whatnot to do send each other crazy photos that they wouldn't ordinarily send but um uh someone basically found out a utah a utah-based forensic firm discovered that the photos are basically still stored on the receiving phone's device the mm-hmm. the software only changes the extension to make them disappear so I'm not surprised thing, by that <laughs> so first <laughs> off so tristan you have you heard of snapchat have you used this at all I've I've heard of it briefly. I haven't used the service. Um, it's just impossible to be on every service these days. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm not surprised by the fact that your phone would store it. I mean, essentially, in order to delete the image from the recipient's device, the the application would have to have rights to delete the device without uh, the the image or data on your phone mm-hmm. without you realizing that it's doing that. Um, and uh, I I'm not a developer, but as far as I'm aware, where um, none of the the, the, the the mobile manufacturers are going to grant you permission in their OS to do that kind of stuff because of the security risk it could pose. Yeah. Um, so when I read the story, I was kind of like, why are people surprised by this? I mean, it, the, nothing is really ever gone for good, you know? So it's... Um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really not surprised. Obviously, they've made it in a way so that you can't simply just access it. But, but that data hangs around. I mean, you, you know that even a formatted SD card these days can still have a lot of images recovered from recover it. it. You can still recover so, it. Now, yeah. Valerie, you've, you've got teenagers running around your house there. Have, have they been using Snapchat? No, and actually, I, I, I've ne- I had never heard of it. Sorry. Um, and they may have. And yeah. I don't know. Make but sure yeah, I, I, right? <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with uh, Tristan. It, ev- nothing is ever gone. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, if you believe that. Uh, and it looks like here the audience is fairly young for this uh, particular product, mostly teenagers. So. If, you know, if they could make them believe that things would just disappear by disappear by magic, um, I don't think anybody would believe that anymore. Yeah, well, a related story um, from Google's executive chairman, Mr. Eric Schmidt, was basically quoted as saying that that mistakes made online today are permanent with a with with a capital P. So whatever you do, whether you send a snapshot photo of your butt to somebody or whatever, <laughs> someone can find that later when you run for president. <laughs> oh yeah. Or mayor of New York. So, and, and so the, you've actually, the opposing party will be making an attack ad with your photo in it. That's right. When you uh when you run for president. Dan, now you're doing you're doing uh senior portraits and all that sort of thing. Have you heard through the grapevine in your studio of, of people using Snapchat at all? Well, I've known about it for a while because my daughter has been using it. Oh. Um, so I've, I've known quite a while about it. And uh, so I got on it a little bit with her. And, you know, it's kind of neat. But, you know, she knows just like, you know, our friends here have said, once it's out there, it's out there. I don't care what software says, what you know, and there you go. That, that team proved it. Um, so... Fortunately, only uh, silly faces have gone back and forth that I've seen. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's 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 a fun little neat thing. I mean, I th- I think it's seen its life already. Um, I mean, honestly, it's been about a year that I've that I've known about it. Um, and it's just you know, even like like Vine is that was that what it was with Twitter? Vine, yeah, yeah. Anybody still use that? I tried it once, and then um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's one of those it. things. Yeah. yeah. I found so, no use for it. <laughs> just, just know, think, just know the rule. You put it out there; it's out there. That's it. Yeah, and the the surprising thing about it is, I mean, so you know, what's to say that if you've sent an embarrassing photograph, your mate's not going to go and take a a screenshot of it already, just to make sure that they've got it permanently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and but it, it raises a very good point that you've got to be careful about what you do with your your. Um, with your phone and that so like on android um with the latest iteration of jelly bean and, and stuff your your photographs are automatically made available to be go to be uploaded and, and sent to google plus so the, the the there's you know jelly bean has this thing where it it can if you set it up and, and go through your setup process very quickly essentially have your pictures loaded um up to google plus and all that it really asks you to do each day is say which of these would you like to publish live um you know but it's it, it's it's you so you've got to be careful with that and uh, i was listening recently to someone who was talking about the the google glass that they got um you know having a, an unfortunate situation where they put their google glass down on the table and accidentally bumped the the, the photo button on it um and it it took a picture of of their butt and they <laughs> 
it, it, with one sl- slight touch wrong on on the on the touchpad on it, it would have been posted to to Google Plus. Um, you know, so because it, it's automatically getting the image ready and that for you to share right away. So it's increasingly getting to a point where you need to be careful um, about just the way that you, you set up stuff. You know, we think, oh, it's great that the Google Plus are giving us an infinite amount of storage uh, on certain resolution sizes. And, and within reason, you know, the way they're integrating stuff, your pictures are automatically made ready like that on your mobile device if you're using Android to do that share. Um, and, and just one wrong move, and you're going to put it out there publicly in any case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary. Valerie, Valerie, what are you doing on your side to make sure that your, your kids aren't doing crazy stuff online and, and potentially damaging their professional careers later? Um, well, my oldest is – I. He's in college and oh, so, he's yeah. way more. He's way more mature than I am. He's outside of your gravity. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't. I don't worry about him too much. He's uh, he's very grown up. And my youngest, believe it or not, is not even on Facebook. Oh wow, good. Look at yeah. that. What about you, Dan? What are you doing right now? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a while. No, what uh, are you do- what are you doing to keep your kids safe online and just just education. Just yeah. education. Just yeah. watching her and warning and she's known since she was little, you know, and I even told her, I said, Don't you dare try and out tech me. You know, I'm I <laughs> she knows better. <laughs> I was a geek um, before you were born, kid. Absolutely. And uh yeah, so she so she's mature about it. She knows. Um just yeah, it's that it's just it's over and over again. You put it, and anytime there's a situation that comes up and you hear a story, even like you know adults who you know take pictures and th- send things of themselves and uh-huh. say it wasn't them, and somebody hacked their Twitter account and then it really was them, and mm-hmm. then they run for <laughs> office for New York mayor. Um, <laughs> you know, we kind of use that as a situation to say, look, yeah. look at you know, don't do it. Yeah, it <laughs> even will, if you it think it's just your you. friend. Yep. Yeah. All right, guys, before we, before we get into the listener Q&A, I want to uh, take a quick second to uh, thank this week's sponsor, and that's Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Squarespace introduces a new commerce solution that allows you to instantly create a store and start selling products. Squarespace Commerce provides a powerful and flexible e-commerce solution. It's integrated to work with every Squarespace template for allowing sales of both physical and digital goods. For example, you can sell music CDs, MP3s, hardcover books or eBooks, t-shirts, all that stuff. There's a fast merchant account setup so you can accept payments right away, including credit or debit cards. And there's a single interface for order management. You can track orders. You can send email updates to customers. You can print shipping labels, add coupons, and more. And Squarespace Commerce is included with the business plan subscription, which starts at $24 a month when you sign up for a year or 30 bucks a month for their monthly plan. Also, Squarespace works hard to give you and your website users the best mobile experience possible. Squarespace has developed templates with mobile-ready, responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures itself to look great on any device, smartphone, tablet, or computer. And, of course, this means you get a mobile-ready store with the new e-commerce solution. Squarespace is fast and easy to use. It's got beautiful templates with 100 
100% drag and drop functionality, and they give you better social media integration as well. You can automatically import, sync, and publish to and from social media networks with just a few clicks, and it'll dynamically refresh your site content, raising awareness of your social media circles. It's awesome. And Squarespace is exceptionally well-designed. They've got an award-winning design team and user experience experts that look at each template to make sure everything's dialed in and ready to go. And each template also has hundreds of customization options available to, uh, so you can change the grid layout, the colors, um, and over 300 fonts to choose from. It just goes on and on and on. It's pretty much everything you need. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that integrates all of your website needs, domain, design, development, commerce, hosting, plus, to top it all off, they've got 24-7 customer support in case you get stuck anywhere. So if you'd like a free trial, you can head over to squarespace.com slash TWIP. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can just try it out, start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase that website, just use the offer code TWIP5 and you'll get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And this includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget about the free domain registrations for annual plan customer subscriptions. That's squarespace.com TWIP and use the offer code TWIP5. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website today. Check them out. Now back to our program. Okay, it is time for some listener Q&A. This is a segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. We've got a question today. This one is from Chuck Hauser, and he writes, I shoot a lot of sunrises and sunsets. I'm frequently disappointed with lens flare after I've gone to significant effort to get an otherwise beautiful shot. I have decent Nikkor lenses, including the 12 to 24 millimeter wide angle. I only use Lightroom today for post-processing. His question is, is there any way to remove lens flare or flare in post-processing that looks good? Now, Dan, I would put it on you first since you you wrote books on image processing. Yeah. Is there a way? So my, my advice would be, would I'd say no. My knee-jerk my knee reaction is get it right when you shoot it. But yeah, what, what would course. you say? How do you get rid, of a, get rid of lens flare other than cloning? Well, it depends on the type of flare. Um, you know, if it's, if it's in the... A typical lens flare mm -hmm. very easily just can um, uh, spot brush that out in Photoshop. If you're in Lightroom, there's that little uh, – I forget what they call it. But the uh, the spot adjustments in, in Lightroom, you can do it. But if it starts to get into somebody's face, um, you know, into objects that are part of the scene, you got to really get into Photoshop and paint that out. And I've done it. You can. But ideally, get get into the <laughs> – get it right in the camera first. Mm -hmm. And an option for that uh, might be to use a polarizer. Polarizing filter. Um, if you find that there's you know too much glare from the sun and you want to balance that shot a little bit, or what I often do, um, it's just bracket. Especially if I'm shooting, I, I do a lot of architectural interiors. Uh, just bracket those shots and then blend them together so that you can avoid any light glares from a window. Get the inside, you know, same with the landscape. So yeah, that's yeah, what I would say. say. Yeah, the polarizer. Awesome. Tristan, what about you? You got any quick advice for, for this uh, listener about how to eliminate lens flare? Uh, the photographers I know buy plugins for Photoshop to add lens flare to their photographs. So. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, honestly, 
I mean, uh, again, I, it's always best to do it before you, you know, when shooting the image, before you take it into processing. I, I would suggest if his lens hoods um, for his lenses are not working sufficiently, there there are bigger lens shades that you can get. Um, you know, that kind of flag off off some of the stray light, and maybe that's something that he needs to try. You know, just carry a, a, a some dark cardboard around, try that. If that's working for you, then you get these kind of lens shades which go on the hot shoe of your camera and have this little, like, gorilla powder type arm with a, a board that can be used to, to flag off uh, any, any stray light coming over your lens and that, and that might work better for him. Yeah, yeah, take care, so, uh, take care in the shooting. Valerie, and you have good quality there? filters. Um, I would say embrace it if you can, because lens flare can be really cool. But in a situation where you really don't want it, yes, definitely. Re- sometime repositioning yourself slightly will, you know, get rid of that. Um, the lens hood, or even putting your hand, um, you know, sometime I I can hide the because you can see the lens flare usually when you're shooting. So with uh, with your hand or even. Um, if you have something like a, a small reflector to um, to prevent it by by hiding the whatever yeah. Yeah. Uh, blocking the sun, mm-hmm. uh, also make sure your lens is clean because you can um, um, it, uh, usually if your lens is dirty, you're more likely to get lens flare too. Love it. Good. All excellent advice. I... Much better than my advice of get it right in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's jump into the Picks of the Week segment. This is where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the listeners as long as it is somehow related to photography. Dan, why don't you go first? What's your Pick of the Week? My Pick of the Week, it's just something kind of fun and silly. Um, And let me get to my link, sorry. And basically, you know, it's just if you have a a little bit of time and a little extra money, it's called BoardPanda.com. Uh, and cool and creative photo gadgets for photographers. And the one I like the most is the photo album coffee table. You have to hit the now. link to go see it. It's a giant photo album, and you can literally lift it up and turn the page. Uh, so it's actually it's actually pretty neat. Wow. Okay. This this kind of reminds me of Photo Jojo, but they've got some different. It's kind of like that, yeah. But there's uh, you know, they got some lens bracelets uh, that are literally like metal, you know, that are cut. Um, a couple of cool other things actually might be pretty useful. Umbrellas for the cameras, things like that. They've got frames um, that go around corners. I, I thought like that it. was really cool. Yeah. I have the per- yeah, I'm the looking at frames. the perfect spot in my office for those right now. <laughs> you know, and if you've got a new studio, perhaps it's just some good things to, uh, you know, get some interest people taking a look. Where did you get that? Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's something different than, let's say, a $195 camera strap. I love it. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> which I did purchase one. But there's an interesting pencil on there. Number thirteen. I was just did you looking see, at that. <laughs> did you see thirteen there? Yes. Yep. <laughs> look at thirteen. I can't say it on the air, but uh, yeah, look at number thirteen when you. Yeah, I thought that was fun. <laughs> Very good. I like that pick. Perfect. Again, I'm going to be spending more money. Perfect. All right, uh, Tristan. What's your pick of the week? So I've been messing around with trying to get um, just improve the video from my phone a little bit and and uh, look for other ways to kind of do diff- things differently with shooting with my phone. Mm-hmm. And so and the first thing that I phone now because you switched away from Android, right? No, 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 no. That's the Galaxy S4. He's <laughs> <laughs> so, like, no, 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 no. You, no, you no. know, Frederick, I got rid of my iPad Mini actually. You did. So, 
Yeah, I, I, it just after getting the S4, it wasn't getting used terribly often, and uh, the project that I wanted to use it for never really took off. Um, Samsung have given me the the Note 8 to test, which is kind of their competitor to it, and it's got that little Wacom digitizer built in, and that that's it's quite cool. That makes photo editing a little bit nicer with the way that you can just kind of draw on your images and work with images with this uh, Wacom type pen, which is which is quite cool. So I'm um, I'm now fully back to shooting and using Android. Um, but uh, <laughs> I can't keep um, up. You keep going back and forth. <laughs> what can I say? Um, I, I I work now. Our new publishing partners have uh, you know they publish tech magazines and that, and I I actually still think I own and swap gadgets more frequently than they do. Wow. But uh, which my wife is not impressed about. Um, but the the first. There's kind of two parts to to my pick. Um, so the first part of it is the Joby Grip Tight. Um, it's you know they you can get all these cases for iPhones and stuff like that. But if you want to kind of mount your your cell phone and you're you're not shooting on iPhone, um, you know the, because of the variation in devices, the Grip Tight is a a clamp that goes onto your phone. Um, which will basically fit just about any size of phone. It even takes the massive Samsung Note 2 um, in it, so you know, it's, which is quite cool. And what I've done is I've adapted my little grip tight so that I can mount um, Manfrotto's little LED Mini 24 uh, video light on it. Mm. Um, so I've got this little video light that mounts onto the Joby grip tight, and uh, the next step is to just find a way of getting a, a, a nice microphone, directional microphone on it, so that when we go to events and whatever, I can can kind of do video straight from my phone and, and post it to YouTube, um, and and that's kind of what I'm I'm playing around with at the moment. But I can also use that Joby Grip Tight to mount a um, Coke and filter holding system, you know, for their compact the old compact camera system they had, yeah. um, and mount that on there. Um, you can obviously use it for a normal tripod if you want to. So it's it's quite cool. It it opens up a world of possibilities of modding your your cell phone. And what are we looking at price wise of those things? Um, I, I must be honest. I'm not sure what the the price is there. I bought the version of the Griptite that came with the little Gorilla Pod as well, okay. and if I remember correctly, it was about thirty or forty dollars, I think, in that kind of price range in South Africa. It may be a bit cheaper over there. You know, obviously we've got to pay for shipping and and duties and stuff like that on on the South African market. So, but uh, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, you know, both of these together should probably cost you about a hundred dollars, if yeah, not I'm less. At, I just pulled it up on the site now. The gorilla, the grip tight gorilla pad, gorilla pod stand is twenty nine ninety five. Yeah, um, the Manfrotto LED light is probably a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. but you know, they what, what's nice about the. Uh, that this LED is just it, I even use it when I'm shooting with a mirrorless camera as well it's just it's nice to be able to have this little bit of light that you can pop in as a fill but the one complaint I have about it is it's a very small circle of lights um, you know if if you were, you might want to shop around for an LED that has a slightly wider spread of light um, because if so the S4 has got a, a, the equivalent of a 30 millimeter lens mm-hmm. and, and even there on the edges you can just see that, that it's got a bit of fall off in, in, on the 30 mm lens so if you're using an iPhone or something with a slightly wider angle lens you may may have a bit of a, a hot spot in the center but for using it for events and stuff like that where, where we're primarily going to use it it's not that big an issue we just want to kind of highlight the person that we're, we're interviewing So excellent perfect great tips 
Love it. Cool. So far, inexpensive tips. Valerie, what's your what's your pick of the week? Are you, um, you going to come in under $100 as well? Yes. It's a book by uh, published by Peach Pit, and it's the a photojournalist field guide in the trenches with combat photographer Stacy Pearsall. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's how you say her name, Pearsall. Um, and it's a, a great book. It's an overview of photojournalism in general, but it covers basics um, – uh, from preparing for an assignment to, um, you know, the camera gear, personal items and so forth, and the insight on living and, and working in the most difficult conditions and how to get the best possible shots in those in those most challenging situations. And it has um, wonderful tips, great for anyone who is interested in the career of photojournalist um, or anyone who, you know, who loves photography and uh, you can learn a lot about, you know, making the best images in really tough, tough environments uh, from and then being inspired by the beautiful images that um, she's captured throughout her, her career. And so it's, it's on Amazon book. Prime, and I yeah, just bought like, it with one click. So there you go, and it's only like thirty some bucks. Thirty yeah, twenty nine twenty nine oh eight. There you go on Amazon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great book. Oh eight right now. Hmm, interesting. Very you guys good. are so lucky. <laughs> I, I would spend so much more money if I was over there. It's like just one click shopping. That's... Yeah, it'll be here today after tomorrow. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do anything. It's almost too easy. Count yourself lucky, Tristan. It's too easy to just impulse buy stuff like that. You know, in the past I would have given it some thought. You know, do I really need another book? And now I just bought it. You know. So. All right, cool. Thanks, Valerie. My my pick is um, so I'm on this kick of experimenting with long exposures. So I purchased a ten stop neutral density filter on Amazon Prime. Um, for 88 bucks and it seems way too expensive for what it is it's just you know it's a filter and it's uh 88 bucks but what if you're not familiar with a neutral density filter does um it is a filter that goes on the front of your lens that stops light from coming in allowing you to do longer exposures to do things like have things that would ordinarily been frozen by light they can appear in motion like things like water or lights or people or whatever you can do some pretty interesting creative things with it. So it has some particular shots in mind that I want to do in San Francisco. So I purchased this filter and uh, made it my pick of the week. Now, I bought it for my 14-millimeter Lumix um, F2.5 lens that goes on my, my OMD, and that was another part of this experiment. I want to see how long exposure photography operates and how, how, what the quality is like coming out of a micro four-thirds camera. So, um, so that's, uh, that's what I'm going to try. Now, have you guys, have you guys done long exposures before Valerie? What about you? Uh, no, but actually I'm, I'm, I almost bought the B plus W filter for my Canon for the 70, no, for the 24 to 70, but it was like 300 and some dollars. It's crazy, right? They're very expensive. So, um, but I'm thinking of getting one for my small camera Mm -hmm. because I, I don't now I can't remember what, um, diameter i need for the the fuji but it's much cheaper the little lens on my the the omd is like 46 millimeters so it's yeah it was 88 bucks which is still expensive for something that looks like it could have come in a cereal box you know but that's also the best brand you can you can get the b plus w yeah yeah now tristan do you have you done any long exposures i've done a little bit um haven't played much with it in in 
the last uh, two or so years. Um, but uh, yeah, we we use a variable ND filter for video stuff in that. So um, yeah, we've got quite a quite a bit of strength coming out of that filter. Um, but I would say you know this ten stop the the problem that we have is BMW is just not readily available in South Africa. Otherwise, right. we would be using um, using their filters here. Um, what what is quite cool though is um, you know if you're new to this and you want to see the kind of impact that it would have to your to your photo. Graphs um, on on both iOS and Android. There are some great uh, ND filter calculation apps, which you know, if readers want to see or listeners want to see what the the actual impact is of that filter on the exposure, just just download an ND calc app and and you can uh, check and see how much of an effect that's going to have based on your your shutter speed um, without the filter and with it. Excellent. So, Excellent. A yeah, tip. very, very cool a, to play a tip with that. on my pick of the week. That's perfect. All right, uh, listeners. So we're at the end of the show, but stay tuned to the end of this episode for a special interview with Mr. Derek Story. So I sat down with Derek last week to talk about his brand new book, iPad for Digital Photographers, and we just basically discussed mobile photography in general. So... You can listen to the chat right now, right after this show ends, or you can check my YouTube channel and you can watch us live chatting in uh, the Yerba Buena area of San Francisco and see us talk about photography in general. Uh, but that's it. All right, guys, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Dan, where can people go to uh, keep up with you and see your new studio? Well, the studio will be online soon, uh, as soon as we... Get a few more things set up. We'll get some pictures, but that will be at ablangallery.com, A-B-L-A-N. And then find me on Twitter, just uh, twitter.com slash Dan Ablin, and same on Facebook. Excellent. All right, and thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, Mr. Tristan Hall, where where are you at online? Uh, everywhere. Um <laughs> Just Google uh, me, best, you'll find me. <laughs> that's it. Best, best probably to get me on about.me forward slash Tristan D. Hall, and there you can find links to Google Plus and Facebook and Twitter and uh, my my slightly under-used um, website at the moment. Um, but I, I've been playing around with Square, Squarespace to see if I can, can redo my site and, and uh, look at using that um, so it doesn't get so underused anymore. Very good. So that's that's uh, about.me slash Tristan D. Hall, right? That's right, yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank and you. last but not least, Ms. Valerie Jardin, where can people go to um, find you online? On, on my Squarespace website. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's valeriejardinphotography.com, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N, photography, all in one word. And then you can find the links to Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, and so forth. And, um, yeah, I spent uh, more and more time on Google Plus, still more time on my Facebook page, but um, embracing both. And if I can make a small announcement, there are a couple spots left on my October workshops in France, so between Paris and and Normandy. So they should fill up now within a week or two. And um, and I'm doing four workshops in, in Minneapolis here in between, so... Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And all that mm. info is listed on your website. Right? It's all on the website. Yep. Right. I've made a good birthday present for myself for October. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Some people are actually doing both back to back. Oh, wow. They're spending two weeks with me. Yeah. Tristan, I think you should get one of those camera manufacturers to send you yeah. on Valerie's workshop to t- field test a camera. Look at that. 
I, I will have to set up a meeting with him this morning. <laughs> <laughs> after you, after you wake up. Yeah, after you get up, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm awake now. The day's day's sorted. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys well thanks thanks all you guys for coming on i appreciate it. it was a great conversation and um yes. listeners if you want to keep up with everything in the twip universe you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com also you can join our google plus community over on google plus and if you're looking for me finally you can find find me at frederickvan.com and with that it's time to take that lens cap off this week in photo is a pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. Hi, I'm Frederick Van Johnson, and I'm sitting here in beautiful, sunny San Francisco. Wow, what a day today, huh? A beautiful day oh with Mr. Derek Story. And uh, Derek agreed to meet me here in San Francisco to talk about um, some cool stuff. And this is kind of pertinent to me right now because I'm going on a trip soon, and I'm, I want to go ninja, <laughs> like really light and in and out, tourist mode, undercover, Clark Kent mode. Uh, but Derek just published this book called iPad for digital photographers and it so happens that I have an iPad and I am a photographer I am not digital I'm actually atom based but (laughs) 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 but digital for digital photographers so this is great so Derek welcome thank you thank you it's good to be here all right it's awesome to have you so let's just talk about this I I just want to have a just a frank conversation with you since you are now you literally wrote the book I literally yes I did I did okay so someone's going on a trip is it possible to go on a trip, international, like mm-hmm. say South Korea, right? And be just pro- to pick a place out of nowhere. Just to pick a place, just <laughs> random, no relevance, right? Um, and be productive with just me, my mirrorless Olympus OMD, and an iPad Mini. The short answer is absolutely yes. Really? It so is. what? Okay. Okay, so that's that's the easy answer. That's so the short answer. So what am I giving up? Because my knee-jerk reaction, the old Frederick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm which I would argue is the same as a new Frederick <laughs> would bring his MacBook yeah. and Lightroom and all yeah. that stuff. And yeah. that would be in the hotel room. Yeah. I'd bring my DSLR, yeah. maybe a backup DSLR, mm-hmm. multiple lenses mm-hmm. just in case. That's mm-hmm. the comfort zone. That's the military guy in me yes. saying, be prepared for all eventualities. Yeah. Now we shift gears to 2013. Now you're saying you could bring this thing that doesn't even have a, a pentaprism in it. And a mirror right. um, and this little thin thing and I can be just as productive. How? You can't. You know, I think the thing that happens, Frederick, is that you don't get rid of the Lightroom and the computer and all that stuff. You move it to a different part of the workflow. Yeah. So what we're used to doing is having it in the front part of the workflow. All right. Oh, cool. Here Thank we you. go. Lemonade. I'm lemonade. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. There we go. Oh, this looks good. Cheers. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. To mirrorless photography. So we're used to doing that more up front. In other words, you would go shoot, let's say, a day in South Korea. You're excited about your shots. Yeah. You go back to your hotel room. You'd fire up the MacBook Pro, fire up Lightroom, put the card in, do all your sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The, those pictures will still end up in Lightroom. 
Yeah. But instead of doing that in the hotel room, you're just going to leave the MacBook Pro at home. Mm -hmm. You're going to uh, look at your shots on the iPad. Yeah. You're going to pull out the ones that you want. Uh, you might put them in an album. Uh, you might push them up to Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever, Flickr, 500 pics, whatever you happen to use sure, sure. Uh, to share them and so forth. Then when you get home, then you know you will do the, whole, the entire catalog of stuff. Mm hmm so you're you're moving the process a little bit later. So then, so you're okay. So you're you're still using the the heavy horsepower stuff, yes. but you're yes. you have a temporary holding space. Yes. It's like a like purgatory for your images. <laughs> yes, so you you could use another term, but <laughs> a vestibule for your images. Well, you know the way the way that I, I say it in the book is that uh, what I like to do is think of the iPad as another digital camera. Mm -hmm. Think of it as a memory card in your digital camera. In, in that, that you know, you don't keep pictures on there forever, right? It, it, the memory card in your camera holds those pictures for a while, and then you move them on to computers and stuff. And then at some point, you go ahead and, and take them off and you use the card again. Right. Well, the iPad is uh, just a multifunctional version of that. In other words, you put the shots that you want on there mm -hmm. while you're traveling. Right. You do stuff with them. But in the end, you're not going to keep all of your stuff on the iPad. Right. You know, and, yeah, and so there's no space. No, no. Yeah. And, and I think that's where people start to hit the wall with using a mobile device on the road is they, they think of it the same way as their computer. I think the first thing that has to happen is you have to think of the iPad different than your camera and different than your computer and look at it for what it really is. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk up. let's take that tangent and talk about space a little. Yeah. Well, this so, is really good, by the way. What is it? What are you drinking? This is uh, masala chai. Oh, yeah. I should have got that. Yeah. This is yeah. just... This is just um, yeah, lemonade. Just uh, lemonade there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, speaking about space specifically, yeah. As I as I've been researching sort of mirrorless and all that mm -hmm. stuff, I've seen this tangent emerge of a lot of photographers saying that there's a movement or a swing back towards shooting JPEG only mm -hmm. and not RAW and relying on the, the processing in the camera to produce those film looks that you're used to yeah. and getting it right on the negative yeah. and not relying on the, some say, crutch of RAW yeah. to be able to rescue yeah. and exposure later. Which, as I, as I talk to you and I look at this book, I'm like, okay, well, maybe it makes sense to shoot JPEG because you're space-constrained on an iPad anyway. Would that be the right thing to do? What do you think? Well, there's a couple ways to go. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people aren't ready to give up RAW yet, mm -hmm. and nor should they. You know, RAW right. has its place. One of the things, though, that I fight against is the knee-jerk to shoot, where you have to feel like you have to shoot RAW every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and you're right. It's, it's a safety net. Mm -hmm. It's a safety net. And, and it's great being able to know at any time you can recover all this highlight information, all the shadow. But not only that, the, uh, the reason that I shoot RAW all the time is baked into my brain is... RAW represents the best that the sensor in my camera can offer. So why would I not want to... That's correct. Why, why would I want like, to... Why would I buy a Ferrari and not floor it, yeah, you know, yeah, and go? Yeah. Why would you just go the speed limit in that? Yeah, and, and you're right about that. The, the thing is, though, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, and I'm not going to advocate that you get anyone get rid of RAW. But okay. I shoot RAW all the time. But my, my brain is switching yeah. to, it's yeah. a tool, but, right? But what I, what I want uh, folks to be open to is the, uh, the option of shooting JPEG sometimes. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. And that's what I mean, where you just don't shoot RAW every, everything. If you, if you have a good shot and you shoot it in RAW and you shoot in JPEG on a good camera such as this OMD that you have, mm -hmm. you're going to have a really hard time telling the difference. Yeah. You're going to have a really hard time telling. And it's the shots that you need to push 
where then that's where they begin to separate. You do try to do highlight recovery on a JPEG. It does not react the same way right. as it does on a RAW file. Right. So, yeah. So you, you're forced. It's like slide film in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of times when I'm traveling, when I'm being the nimble photographer, mm-hmm. say, you know, on mm-hmm. the road, yep. um, I'll do a couple things. One is a lot of times I will shoot RAW plus JPEG. Yeah. And it's funny, RAW plus JPEG is one of those things that I've been trying to get away from my whole career. Mm-hmm. And every time, it's just like the Godfather. Every every time <laughs> they I, keep pulling me they back, they keep pulling me back to it because <laughs> just just when I think I, there's a reason to get away from it, then something else comes up. But why would you? Why why you've been trying to get away from it? Why not just embrace it and use it? Well, <laughs> I think I've come to that point. <laughs> I could have saved you some time, Jerry. You know, SD card prices come down. Just shoot both. Just shoot shoot both. (laughs) Okay. Which is uh, what I'm doing a lot. You're doing it now? Okay. And uh, so there's a number of different workflows that I talk about in the book and that I I experiment. But one of them is that I'll put a Toshiba flash card in uh, in the OMD. Mm Mm-hmm. And really, any camera that can that is wife that's iFi compatible will also be Toshiba flash card compatible. Oh, okay. okay. And that's that's like an easy way to tell if it's going to work in your camera or not. Yeah. Uh, put that in there, and then I use a, an application called Olympus uh, OI Share. It's an iOS app. Oh, OI Share. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Olympus Share. If, I think if you search for Olympus Share, uh, it'll come up with okay. it. The neat thing about this app is that it'll talk to the the Olympus, flash, uh, the Toshiba flash card. Okay. But the thing about it is it will only present you with the JPEGs. Okay. So the big problem with uh, when you're moving uh, RAW plus JPEG onto the iPad is that it wants to grab everything. So you mm-hmm. use a camera connection kit, and you're not really gaining anything. So there's ways to work around it. I've talked about how do you eventually get rid of the RAWs. But I don't want them on there in the first place if I'm shooting a lot. I just right. leave them on the card. Right, right. Pull the JPEGs off, use those, play with them, post them and stuff. So this will talk me to take, take me through that, that workflow. So mm-hmm. when you say play with them, what's what's the workflow there? So you have RAWs that live. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing to the camera. So yeah. RAWs that live on the memory card. They live on our memory in card. In that right camera. Here. In that camera, yes. So they're on there. You have JPEGs yeah. using this Olympus app. Mm-hmm. They get transferred over to your iPad mm-hmm. or your iPhone or your mm-hmm. iOS device, whatever. You're right. Um, what are you doing with those, with the with the JPEGs? Is that for sharing out to social media? You're blogging with those. I'm playing with them too, okay. and I'm learning about the photos because the nice thing about travel is you have a lot of travel time. You're mm-hmm. on trains, you're on planes, you know, you're waiting. You spend mm-hmm. a lot of time waiting. Mm-hmm. I'm learning about those images mm-hmm. uh, on the iPad, and you know, I can create. It's interesting. I can create looks in Snapseed. Or mm-hmm. iPhoto for iOS or Photogene. Those are apps that I like a lot. Yeah. On the iPad that I have a hard time emulating on my computer with Lightroom, Photoshop, and Aperture. Yeah, because it, it can press all those steps into just a couple. Well, of, you know, it's just, it's just designed for playing and you experiment more and there's interesting filters and stuff like that. Yeah. So I really learn about those images while I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. I post them knowing that I have those RAW files on the cards. Yeah, yeah. Now, the big question that most people ask me is, well, how do you manage all the RAW files? Yeah. And there's a couple ways you can do that. There are devices now, if you want to carry an extra device, that will wirelessly serve as a backup drive for your iPad. Mm -hmm. One way to go. Yeah. Cloud services. Slow. Both of those slow. Yeah, they're all slow. Raw plus wireless equals slow. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Plug your iPad into the wall, go to sleep, wake up in the morning. Exactly. It might be halfway done. Thank you. You can go to the mall and get a cable and plug it in. 
Now, those are for people that just feel like they need to get them off the card. Right. Me, I go, I buy a bunch of cards that are absolutely cheap. Yep. And they just stay on the card. I have uh, a holder when I when the card has raw files on it, it goes in backwards. Good. And when the raw uh, when the card is empty, it's forwards. Nice. And um, I bring home all my cards. Okay, so, so it's the, the cheapest, easiest way to store. Then them. when you get them home, now you're ingesting them into Lightroom yes. or Aperture yes. or whatever you're put your Absolutely. digital asset management application. So once they're in that app, what happens to the JPEGs that were? Those orphan JPEGs that you're working on no, on the train. You know, it's very interesting, actually, what happens to those. They go in to the collection also mm-hmm. with the raw files. So not only do I have, you know, all the all the stuff that's off the card, mm-hmm. I also bring in all the stuff off the iPad. Mm-hmm. You just plug it in or send it in wirelessly, however you want to do it. Because a lot of that work is really good stuff. Yeah. It's really good stuff. And it actually, so let's say that you set up a collection or you're in Aperture, you have a project. I'll have, in the same Aperture, I'll have an album of all those JPEGs that I worked on from the trip. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's so funny, when I go to grab a shot that I'm going to share, put in a magazine article or something, yeah. I'm grabbing the JPEG off the, out of that album that I played with. So the raw it. becomes just the backup. Okay. becomes a backup and there are you know obviously there are raw shots I'm going to work on and do mm-hmm. stuff with and all that sort of stuff but those JPEGs that I work on on the iPad yeah those are very valuable to me interesting so they're not just throw away not at all files not you know because the way I was thinking of it is your raw files live on there and just because you happen to have this lightweight JPEG and your iPad mm. you can play around with it and mm. you know do some stuff and kind of sketch what you think the real image mm. is going to be then when you you get back to a real computer, right. now you right. recreate it and from your sketch. You know, well, I knew I was going to, you know how they used to, you know, yeah. you used to like yeah. kind of draw on a, yeah. a test print, I yeah. want to darken the skies and all this stuff. I was thinking of the JPEG as it's kind of that test print. Well, you know, it's funny that you that you, you pictured that way because that was sort of my original plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was originally when I started playing with this workflow, that's what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. What happened was that those images that I started taking off the iPad and putting on the computer, I liked them so much. I said, I've already done the the work. (laughs) I might add a little bit more metadata to them or something, Uh, even though I do tag them and add captions on the iPad. I might do a little more metadata, but for the most part, they're done. Wow. Okay, final question here. Mm -hmm. Um, The... In these new cameras, like the, the Sony NEX series, mm-hmm. or the NEX7 specifically, mm-hmm. um, the OMD Olympus that we're shooting this on, these cameras have these, these art modes yes. in them where yes, you can do. apply special effects like grainy black and white or pop art, which is kind of contrasty, oversaturated yeah. Yeah. kind of feel or soft focus. And it's actually doing hardware application of these effects inside right. the camera and applying them to the JPEG, or in the case of a JPEG and JPEG and RAW, it's applying them to the JPEG and then mm-hmm. you still have the RAW for whatever you, you want to do later. My yeah. question to you is, so for those photographers that are just, it's kind of a two-part question. If you're just shooting JPEG, do you want to steer clear of those effects or is it fun to shoot those or? That's, that's an interesting question. My, my approach has been to shoot RAW plus JPEG, apply the effect to the JPEG, mm-hmm. But I still want that raw file. Yeah, I still want that raw file. So insurance, I, it, it is, and yeah. you know, I, and I think we talked about this a little bit before. You know, I think sometimes those effects are a little heavy-handed, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more than I want, and uh, and I, I, I want that raw file maybe. That was that was that was, that was Mr. Hankey telling us that we're at the 15-minute mark. 
yeah, yeehaw. It's howdy ho. Yeah, I'll finish this thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think they're a little heavy-handed. So I, in that case, I'll shoot raw plus JPEG, have the raws, and then you know play with the JPEGs. But the other thing that goes with that is sort of like playing with images on the iPad. I encourage it because sometimes you discover things about a shot that you didn't know was there through using these filters. It might not be where you want to end up, but you go, oh, but you know what? Discovering. Yeah. yeah. There's there's something there that now I'll play with it and, and, and get it the way I want. So, Derek, in this book, do you, you talk about the Wi-Fi um, yes. adapters in the book? Yes. Okay, so yeah, I can, both, I can both just look at it. Wi-Fi and Toshiba. Do you have a preference over Wi-Fi or Toshiba? Toshiba. Why? Why Why over iPhone? Because it sets up a direct access point. So the, it doesn't have to go through another server or anything. Mm-hmm. It actually has its own little access point in the SD card. And then what you do with the iPad, you just log into this, basically, an access point. And then you can use a web browser. You can use Olympus Share. You can use any shutter snitch. You can use anything you want mm. to communicate. So it's just, it's just more flexible. It's a little more open. Yeah. Cool. When is when is this book going to be out? When can people it's get it? It's out right now. It's buddy. out now? It's, it's shipping? Out. It's shipping. Cool. So uh, Amazon.com or Amazon. go to... They can get it by going to your site too, right? TheDigitalStory.com? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I always have a link to it there. Awesome. Yeah. Derek, thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. time out of your... Oh, yeah. This is a rough life here. I know. This, this <laughs> is sunny. I mean, there's not a cloud in the sky no, here. No, no. are sitting here sipping lemonade yeah. on an afternoon. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much better. Talking photography. Yeah. You know. It's good to be a photographer. It's, it's good to be a photographer. Yeah. And good to have good friends that are photographers. Yes, so thanks, Derek. And and cheers. And cheers. All right. All right.